HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. It's the final stretch of 2022 and HRN needs your help. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. And this is our 343rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, I have a special on-the-road show from the Culinary Institute of America's Worlds of Flavor Conference, which took place November 2nd to 4th in Napa, California, with the theme Africa and the World. And I will tell you more about the conference and my guest interviews in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip. And then later, we will have two speed round games and a solo dining experience. So a little different this week. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to tell your story. Be proud of your roots and background and take ownership of where you came from and what your heritage means to you. Everyone has a story and every story is worth telling as it not only sheds light on us as human beings from our passions and fears to our joys and hardships, but it can inspire and influence others. So let's embrace who we are always by passing along our truth to the next generations. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm excited to share with you today my special on the road show from the Worlds of Flavor Conference in Napa, California with the theme Africa and the World. And again, this took place at the beginning of November from the 2nd to the 4th, and I was there. And it was held at the CIA's campus It's called Copia in Napa, California. And um, the theme, Africa and the World, Reclaiming the Past, Crafting 
the future was a new theme this year. Every year they they have a, a different theme. Um, and I've been to this conference. This was my third time attending. Uh, one year I was actually a moderator of some of the panels. Um, and in the past, the conference took place in St. Helena, which is near-ish Napa, um, at the CIA's campus there. But this year it was at their campus at Copia. So that was a new experience for me. And um, this is a three-day international conference and festival, and it includes culinary demonstrations, presentations, panels, workshops. They have a famed world marketplace tasting, or I should say tastings. They do live fire cooking and teaching kitchens where you can watch the chefs cook and ask questions and and really dive deep into their cuisine. Um, and it's it's pretty interactive. So it's and it's it's a bit intimate for a festival or a conference, I would say. You really you really get to know the people there um, just by by going to the different uh, panels and as well as just attending the marketplace. And as I you know as I like to say as a publicist, being a professional schmoozer, you get to schmooze a lot. So and eat delicious food, and that was a big part of this too. I got to try so many amazing bites uh, from different chefs of and fabulous, fabulous, fabulous food, um, all under the theme of Africa and the world. So. That's my intro. And on this episode, I have two interviews with two amazing people who I knew beforehand, but I I'd never interviewed before. And I was just so excited to connect with them at the conference. And they are first Pierre TM, the chef and owner of Taranga and Yolele with locations in New York and El Cerrito, California, and Zoe Ajonia head chef of Zoe's Ghana Kitchen in New York City. So first up, my interview is with Pierre Tiem of Taranga and Yolele in New York and California. Pierre is a celebrated chef, restaurateur, award-winning cookbook author, entrepreneur, and environmental activist. Born and raised in Senegal, he is known for his innovative cooking style, at once modern and eclectic, yet rooted in the rich culinary traditions of West Africa. He is the founder of Yolele, which distributes African food products around the world, including Fonio, which we do talk about a bit in this interview. And it is a climate-friendly and nutritious ancient grain from the Sahel region of West Africa. Pierre He is also the chef and owner of critically acclaimed Harlem, New York restaurant Taranga, which serves fast, casual West African fare directly sourced from farmers in the region. Pierre is also the author of three cookbooks, including the Fonio Cookbook, which was released in October 2019. He will add a fourth book to his list with the release of Simply West African, and that's coming out in 2023. He has won numerous awards and accolades with his cooking and advocacy and so much more that Pierre has done. But we are going to jump now to the interview I have with him, and you will learn more about him and his background and what he was doing at the conference, and we have a speed round game. So here you go. Here is my interview with Pierre TM. Well, hello. 
I'm here today with Pierre Thiam at the World of Flavor Conference in Napa, California. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So you're in New York City, and I love how we connect all the way on the West Coast. <laughs> well, I'm in New York City, and I'm in the West Coast, actually, because I family is in the East Bay. And so I relocated the East Bay two years ago, and New York is where my restaurants are located. So it's interesting. I find myself by coastal today. Oh, amazing. So um, let's talk a little about your background and how you got into becoming a chef. It was the nicest accident. I was never uh, planning to be a chef. I'm coming from Senegal, which is a country where cooking is a gender-based activity. So as a male, being a chef wasn't an option. I was a student in physics and chemistry. And I came to New York on my way to Ohio with a student visa. I was there to finish my degree in chemistry. And in New York, that lucky accident happened that I got robbed three days after I arrived in New York. And that changed my trajectory. That changed everything. So I was like, in the late 80s, New York was not what it is today, Times Square in particular, which is where it happened. But uh, that lucky accident was really, you know, what forced me to find a job. And that job was a restaurant job. As many people who migrate, the first thing that opens is that food industry. That's a job where I only had to clean the tables and empty the and, and fill up the empty glasses that was called the bus boy. I didn't need any skills for that. But doing that in this West Village restaurant introduced me to a whole other world where actually men were cooking. That was what was happening in the back of the kitchen at that restaurant. It became my tribe. I became completely fascinated with this world, you know, because I was coming from a different culture. You know, I appreciated it food. You no, know, Senegal is a place where food is cooked fresh every single day, lunch and dinner. My mom would go to the market on a daily basis and, and prepare that. And this is the rule. Everyone is doing that in that culture. So we are used to like food that's quite amazing and fresh. And, you know, Senegal is a coastal country, so lots of seafood was on our diet on a regular basis. And, you know, I was loving that, but I didn't think of it as an option for career and now I'm in this restaurant in New York City and I'm realizing that it is actually an option and these chefs became my inspiration. I started, you know, from being a busboy, I found myself being a dishwasher in the back of the kitchen just to be closer to the action. And from that, I climbed up the ladder to be dishwasher until one day the prep guy doesn't show up and you're the person that, that get pulled up with a knife and you start learning your knife skills over time. You go from that prep station to the Garde Manger and the Rastocol station, but what's happening there is you start connecting food and chemistry, and this is what changed it for me, because Garde Manger, you make the dressings, the vinaigrettes, and those are immersions and sauces, and they're all chemical reactions that I could connect with. From that place, I never looked back, and it became my, my, my passion. Eventually, I worked from that restaurant, which was an American restaurant to an Italian restaurant and then to a French bistro until realizing being in New York City, the food capital of the world, Africa needed a better representation. Africa was pretty much absent of that world. And that became my mission to find inspiration from the food of my childhood, the food my mom was cooking for me, my grandma, my aunties, 
And that inspiration was like food from my memory. And I started to introduce it gradually at the restaurants I was working when we were cooking stuffed meal. This was my turn to cook stuffed meal. I would cook those flavors from West Africa, those peanut sauce and the caramelized onion and lime and chili and all the caldo and all of that. You know, and my peers, my colleagues for loving it, those new flavors for them, you know, African, West African cuisine in particular has so much um, to bring. And that confirmed to me that, you know, I had to continue and figure out a way to create a path with that food from memory. And eventually I started a catering business. That catering turned into my very first restaurant. It's like early in 2000 in Brooklyn. It was called Yolele. And that restaurant led me to a cookbook because I was writing recipes now and I was getting recipes to my, from my mom, things that she used to cook, and I was trying to transcribe them into a notepad or cookbook. Um, that cookbook ID came from that. That cookbook came out and another inspiration came from that cookbook because as I was writing recipes, I always had to think of substitutions for ingredients which was a challenge because many of my ingredients that I'm using to make our cuisine what it is, they're not accessible in the US at the time. So that's when the idea of starting a company that would bring those ingredients into the market by connecting small farmers from the region of Africa where I'm from to a global market. And those ingredients, I wanted to make sure as I'm bringing them, those ingredients would be ingredients that would really bring economic opportunities for the small farmers. They're, they're like the, among the poorest farmers in the world. They have these amazing ingredients, but they just don't know how to access them to market. So that's what became my actual company, Yolele, which is bringing Fonio, Moringa, Dawa Dawa to supermarkets like Whole Foods and Target today. Long way to answer that question <laughs> how I got into cooking. Amazing. No, it's amazing, um, your story and, and how much you've, and the, how it's progressed and, and where it's brought you. So what about, talk a little about Taranga, because when did that open? Taranga opened in 2019, 2018, 2019. Um, that was my third experience in New York. I had, after Yolele, I opened the Grand Dakar in Boffin, Brooklyn. Teranga was this place that was thought through in a way that was different than my first two restaurants. So Teranga had this vision of being a fast casual concept with the, the idea of bringing these ingredients that have been uh, championing and, and presenting them to the New Yorkers so that it's less intimidating and it's more accessible. So the fast casual is really that perfect platform where you can come and you kind of make your own ball, you know, you, so you choose fonio, you can choose fermented cassava couscous, which is called acheke, you can choose jollof rice, you know, you choose your grain and then you can choose different sauces. All those ingredients, those sauces are inspired also by West African cuisine. So I'm just like presenting it in a way that's kind of deconstructed and allowing you to be part of the, 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 the cooking experience as a, as a customer, you come, but you finish your own bowl. After choosing your sauce, you also choose your protein, you know, and you choose your sides. And your protein, it can be, or it can be meat or fish, or it can also be just vegan, because our food, traditional West African food, is actually uh, 
plan forward type of approach to cooking. So you have grains at the base, you have lots of leafy vegetables, you have lots of beans. So black eyed peas is something that you would see in one of the menus of Teranga. We call it ndambe. It's a traditional sweet potato, black eyed peas, and okra kind of a stew. Very popular in peasant areas of West Africa. So it's like considered peasant food, but at Teranga we present it as an elevated peasant food and it really is not only delicious, but very nutritious too. Yes, well, I was lucky to have lunch there back near, I guess, when you opened, you said 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fantastic. I, I'm due to come back. I mean, I, I, I mean, I know exactly where you are at the top of... Central Park over on the east side. Um, So I need to get back up there. But um, yeah, everything you've done is incredible. What brings you here now to the Worlds of Flavor conference? Oh, this Worlds of Flavor is very, very special because it's focusing on the food of Africa and the African diaspora, which is uh, something that never happened at at this scale, at the dimension at Worlds of Flavor or anywhere really in, in the food industry. So that's great. And I think this is just a continuation of that, that mission that I've mentioned to you. It started three decades ago and it's still, you know, it's still coming today. You know, when we took back then, when I uh, took the bet on focusing on the food from my childhood on making it the, the, my inspiration, it was unthinkable that Worlds of Flavor would focus its cuisines on, on this, you know. And yet it was so, it made so much sense because the food of Africa has inspired the cuisines around the world, but particularly here in the Americas for, for a few hundred years through the Middle Passage. And that's through this conference, you can see it when you look at presenters from all the parts of the diaspora and the way they're presenting it. And you connect the dishes that they're presenting and you can trace it back straight all the way back to my mama's kitchen. You know, I'm serving for I'm serving a gumbo today. That's the ancestor of the gumbo. I'm serving it uh, at Marketplace later today, and that's a dish that you call gumbo here in, in New Orleans. But uh, in Senegal, we have the same dish, the same uh, ingredients, same flavor. In Nigeria, they have the same thing, and throughout West Africa. So that's that's also this conference is a way to 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 see the connection and to bridge the gap and to to realize how the cuisine, the food culture is so powerful that it, and resilient. It's been here all these years and all these time lapse and all these geographical differences and all the, not to mention the, the hardships of the Middle Passage. None of it has just been able to, to make this food disappear. That's how resilient it is. It's just popping back up with slight variations, showing also how creative this culture is, I mean, this is really beautiful to be here. And that's, in a nutshell, what brings me here. It's beautiful. Um, you're so well-spoken. And yes, um, it, I wanted to come here because of, well, for many reasons, but the theme itself was was definitely a draw in the fact doing uh, flavors of Africa and focusing the world in Africa. It's, um, it's exciting to be here and to learn so much. Do you find perception from or or over the years people Americans or just whoever your customers um, is perception changing of African food and flavors and are people becoming 
I guess more familiar or more, I guess, less intimidated maybe by it. Because I feel like maybe that is, um, it's a lesser known or it has been a lesser known type of cuisine. Maybe it intimidates people. I'm just wondering if like, because you're so in it and so dedicated and you've been working on this for a while. Um, what are you, I mean, has the, the market changed? Oh, drastically, drastically. Um, like I said, you know, the only reason why I thought I wanted to focus on this food was because I couldn't see it anywhere back in the days. And today, I mean, you know, you turn on the TV, you have chefs from the African diaspora presenting the food of their origins, of their tradition. You know, you have Kwame, you have Eric on TV, on Top Chefs. They're doing their thing. Gregory, who's Haitian, but also bringing that same inspiration. So, so it's, yeah, we came a long way. And, like, this conference is a proof of it. It's, like, showing why this is happening. When I first opened my restaurant, it was a destination because it was a unique place, and the African diaspora and the African expats, immigrants, could connect. And, and they, they took pride in it. They wanted it to be the place where they will bring their, their friends to introduce them to this place without it to be too intimidating. But it was still a challenge then. It was a challenge because it was pioneering. And when it's pioneering, you have to expect that you know, there's going to be a moment to educate people and it was not there. People, you're facing uh, the conceptions. People had these preconceptions of Africa. Oftentimes, just that word, Africa, just had the connotation with something negative. And that was due to the history that we've had with the Americas. So that whole thing brought also brainwashing that we need to, to, to switch off and change that mindset that Africa is actually not a continent of scarcity. And that's also what the, the media was portraying. It was a continuation of this, but the media was portraying it by design, only showing the negative aspect of Africa. So when you would see Africa on TV, it was either a famine or a war. It's something that was happening and people hungry. Yet, um, it wasn't the Africa that I know. And many people, most people don't have that experience of Africa. So when, when I wrote my first book, Yolele, one of your colleagues, first question was asking because she was surprised and she was like, I didn't know there was so much abundance. You know, to them, Africa was a continent of scarcity because that's how it was presented to people. So that was then. You know, eventually, I realized that one way to 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 tackle it was to present a restaurant like Teranga, which would be people would enter. As you know, you entered. That was there was nothing intimidating. There was inviting. You know, you felt you know invited and and you wanted to experience it. But today it was different too because. With you know media, thanks to the media, you know the the food world has become something that people are attracted to, and they're curious about other cultures now. Because now the media is showing the, the those places through their food, and Africa was the last frontier back in the days. You know, I mean even. Japanese cuisine took a time to to be introduced. I remember when sushi arrived in the 90s and people were like very timid about it. But see, it took... Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. You're yeah. absolutely right. And here we are in Africa, in addition to not only being this wonderful uh, place where flavors are like just coming and hitting you in know, many interesting ways, Africa cuisine, African ingredients are also very important today because we are conscious that the food system is a big culprit when it comes to 
climate change. And the way to tackle it, Africa is offering solutions, the ingredients. We need to bring the diversity of ingredients into our diet. We need to include, to save biodiversity. We need to be mindful of the soil. And to be mindful of the soil is to return to the way African farmers are growing, respecting the season in rotation, you know, being able to like in integrate agroforestry in the way we grow our food. We don't have any choice, you know, we, that we have to uh, break that pattern of just including four grains into our diet when the world has like thousands of plants out there, many of them growing in Africa. There are thousands of food plants that can be eaten like fonio, but there's, there's so many other more. But the only thing that can make it happen is if we really take this food culture that Africa has been presenting for thousands of years, that's been passed on to generations after generations. So the, 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 the richness of knowledge that is coming with is also a solution to the climate change that we are facing. And it's a solution, it's a model of development if you figure out a way to do it with the small farmers too. So they, those people will get fair pay for what they are doing. They are doing something that's quite phenomenal. Not only they are making our, our plates much more delicious and diverse, but they are also saving the planet and we need to learn from that. Incredible. Thank you so much. Um, I can't wait to see what the future brings and what comes next with you. I know there's going to be a lot and everything you've done and accomplished is amazing. Would you like to play my speed round game? Yes, I would like. I mean, I don't know what I'm getting into, but <laughs> yes. Sure. Well, on my show, I always do a speed round. And um, let's see if I can do this by heart. I've done it enough times. But basically... Um, I name a couple of things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Mm -hmm. So, oh, you ready? Okay. Yeah. okay, okay, that's the test one. Okay, so here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Home. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Um, alfresco. <laughs> Especially when it's nice out. It's beautiful yeah, here yeah, in Napa. Yeah, yeah. Um, wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Beer, and that's biased because beer, we just came out with a four new beer that you're gonna taste later. So we did a collaboration with Brooklyn Brewery and the Fonio beer is absolutely delicious. And also beer is a, a beverage for the type of cuisine we have in West Africa. It goes, balances well with the, the, the spices and the fermentation, so yes. I can see that. Okay, how about small plates or large plates? Large. <laughs> With a big smile. Tasting menu or a la carte? Well, tasting is always a good experience. Yeah, a la carte because I want to pick what I choose. So, yes, tasting options a la carte. <laughs> Okay. Oh wait, no, I'm, I'm I'm messing up your questions, right? I should. No, no, I love I love. I mean, it's supposed to be speed round, but I love hearing the explanations, and they're good ones. So you're you're doing fantastic. Okay, I think we're about halfway. Um, uh, chef's uh, communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tip. We eat, you know, we eat. That's our concept, Senegal. We eat. Uh, around the bowl, we always share. To us, food is something to be shared. And that's another way of also experiencing food. When you share it, and we eat around the bowl, actually, 
that's which is another very interesting thing. When you eat around the world, there's an etiquette where you have your segment that you imagine a triangle in front of you, and everyone is doing that. So there's an element of trust that's already here, but of love too, because you're sitting next to people and everyone, some people eat with their hands and all that. So that's uh, another way of like saying, yes, communal, we eat, food is communal, food is to be shared. Fantastic. Uh, you can edit all that, right? I hope, right? When you will, right? I don't edit much. We'll see. Oh, sorry. I'm just messing up your thing, though, right? I'm like... Okay. You are not messing up anything. Okay. I love it. I love I love chatting with you, and um, and I'm glad we're playing this. Okay, we'll keep going. Almost. We're over halfway. Um, tipping or all-inclusive charge? Um, all-inclusive is fair. You know, at least, uh, you know, the, the, the we know that the waiter and whoever needs to be paid is getting paid. So it should be included in, you know, stipping. You have to rely on the, the the patron to be generous. Obviously, you want him to be getting a good service. So yes, good service should be coming, but all inclusive is the fair way to do it, yeah. How about doing cooking demos or watching cooking demos? You'd rather be the one doing the presentation or in the audience? Doing. <laughs> and how about gumbo or minestrone soup? <laughs> <laughs> what a question, gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> that was the easiest one in the whole game. Okay, my last two are cheese plate or dessert? Oh, it's a tough one, cheese plate. <laughs> um, and um, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Napa, Wherever your fa your family and where in California, where where do they live? Um, El Cerrito. It's near Berkeley. Berkeley, El Cerrito, okay. East Bay, California. Yeah. So, what's your favorite of it, all those? East Bay, California. <laughs> I'm a trader. Sorry, New Yorkers. I love New York, but hey, you know, I discovered El Cerrito, and and it really is a different quality of life. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's the game. You win. I won. Where's my prize? <laughs> Your prize is I'm going to give you a big hug and thank oh, you for doing this interview. So day. thank you. It's my pleasure. Help keep nonprofit food radio on the air and get a limited release HRN t-shirt designed by artist Chema Scandal. When you become an HRN member or renew your existing membership at the $90 level, you'll receive a shirt created exclusively for members as our thank you gift. Don't wait because this limited edition t-shirt is only available until December 31st. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to support HRN at any level. There's more swag and benefits available for any tax-deductible donation. You can even get your company on the HRN airwaves as a perk of our business membership program. Head to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and today I have a special on the road show from the CIA's World of Flavor Conference, which took place at the beginning of November in Napa, California, with the theme Africa and the World. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Pierre TM. And now I have a second interview to share with you with Zoe Ajonio. She is a chef and writer and entrepreneur and the founder of Zoe's Ghana Kitchen. 
Zoe has been pioneering modern West African food in the form of supper clubs, which she's had in London, Berlin, New York, and elsewhere. Her own restaurant in Brixton, pop-ups, street food, and events since 2010. In 2017, she released her debut cookbook, Zoe's Ghana Kitchen, which was republished and released nationwide in the U.S. in 2021 and landed her spot on the New York Times Best Cookbooks of 2021 list. Zoe's mission has always been to bring the great flavors of West Africa to a wider audience, and her work has been acknowledged through positive press and publicity, including being named one of London's hottest chefs by Time Out and one of the 44 best female chefs by Hatchet Cuisine France. She was also honored by the James Beard Foundation in New York in 2018 by being invited to participate in the Iconoclast Dinner Experience. And in February 2019, she spoke on food its importance to cultural stepping stones of understanding and exchange at TEDx Oxford. There is much more in her bio, which I'm going to skip ahead and go to our interview, but you can check check out her website, which I'll give to you later and learn more about her. And I hope you learn a lot from our talk. It was really great chatting with her. So here you go. Here is my conversation with Zoe Ajonio at the Worlds of Flavor Conference. Well, hello. I'm here with Zoe Ajonia of Zoe's Ghana Kitchen. Hi, Zoe. Hello, Sharon. Lovely to be here. Thanks for wanting to spend some time with me during a very busy and uh, exciting conference where there's lots going on. I can say that right back at you. Thank you. I know you're you're busy. I was at your demo, kitchen demo this morning. You want to talk a little bit? Well, before we get into the Worlds of Flavor Conference and what you're doing here. Let's go back a little bit. Can you share a little bit about your background and how you got into the industry and the culinary world? Uh, yeah, so let me, how am I going to do this quickly? And <laughs> So, okay, essentially I'm the daughter of a Ghanaian father, an Irish mother, so I'm an immigrant brought up in the UK. Um, from a very, very young age, it, became very apparent to me that the cult, the food cultures, the food from both my parents' cultures was incredibly nourishing and important to them as they were navigating this kind of uh, new world, new country, um, you know, trying to forge a path and were up against different things in terms of their minority status, right? Um, but food was this like huge comfort. For, uh, and so I, I got that very, from a very young age and I grew up in, the, in Southeast London and I didn't have a very big Ghanaian family. I didn't have any Ghanaian family around me, to be honest. Um, whereas I had a very strong connection to my Irishness and my Irish roots because we went to Ireland all the time. Um, I never had that same connection with Ghana. So um, the food from Ghana became this kind of entry point for me as a kid into understanding, well, who I was and where I came from, you know, and that expanded my curiosity for the culture of Ghana and that what an African um, continent generally. Um, and I guess, you know, I came to food as a profession by accident. Um, I had this very famous dish, famous only amongst my friends, um, based on the groundnut stew from West Africa, a peanut butter stew. And I cooked this dish one day outside my front door during a, a, an arts festival um, in Hackneywick in East London. And, you know, it turned heads, it sold out, and it was very, very popular. And it created lots of 
questions around where the food came from, what it was. And, and I noticed lots of stereotypes or negative stereotypes and strange beliefs people had about the food from West Africa, the food from Ghana specifically. Uh, and a lot of people didn't even know where Ghana was, you know, and that kind of blew my mind. But so the, all of these problems arose in terms of questions. I wasn't yet prepared to be the one to answer them, to be honest. I was doing an MA at Goldsmiths and I had like a writing career in mind. But eventually, you know, I took people's email addresses. I did supper clubs. Um, very quickly, organically, the brand grew because it was the first contemporary West African concept in London, um, maybe even in the UK, I think. And so there was a huge amount of buzz around that. And before I knew it, I had a business. And then I had to come back from Berlin where I was trying to have a sojourn as a bohemian, um, <laughs> even though I had a kitchen residency. Um, and you know, I decided that people need to have a relationship with the food, the ingredients, and I wanted to break down these negative stereotypes around the continent, around its food, around its culture, um, and just welcome everybody into the joy and flavors of West Africa. And that's what I've been doing ever since, um, decolonizing the food industry through my CPG line, zoeskarnakitchen.com through cooking at events like this, through speaking at events from Harvard recently to CIA last year. You know, I speak all over the world basically on these topics, encouraging people to have a great relationship with the, the not only the flavors, but the health benefits behind those flavors. Amazing, and what about your cookbook? That's another, oh, another little there. thing you did. Cookbook, so I was gonna kitchen 2013. Um, yeah, again, another first, and I'm very proud of that book, and it's, gone on, it's on its fourth edition now. The US first edition was launched last October and it got on the New York Times 100 best cookbooks of the year. So I was like stoked. And yeah, you know, it's a celebration of, as I say, it's a very personal celebration of my relationship with the food and ingredients. And I always wanted it to be like a guide or like a reference or like a coffee table reference to the ingredients of, of a place and giving people permission to play with those in ways that made them feel comfortable. And that's not to say like, it's not about cultural appropriation. And I have many things to say about that. When it comes to people being able to have a more expansive experience of world cuisines, we have to allow, we have to meet people where they are. And it's not always about, you know, keeping to traditional um, dishes and methods. And, you know, I do do that sometimes, but it's also about like the continuation of the legacy and keeping those recipes and flavors alive in new ways. And as I said, like making it accessible and showing people, giving people new ideas um, and ways of using the flavors. That's like my focus is the flavor. Um, and you know, getting people to, encouraging people to play in their own kitchen or eating out and try different types of restaurants with different types of cuisines um, and different types of flavors at home. Like I feel like Jollof, Suya, Kelly any of those spices should be as common as Old Bay, as you know, the standard tagine, like the, the references that people go to when they want to cook from a, a continent. Um, why not, you know? Why shouldn't we be there? It's getting there yeah. is what I'm gathering. And, and this conference, I'm thinking, well, when they put this together, decided it was going to be the, the theme Africa and the world, you were probably first up there on their list to call you had to be being like what you what you do so so talk about your involvement here with um the conference yeah do you know I first came here in 2018 just after my book was launched in the UK in 2017 and I you know I was agog you know like I was wide-eyed and like it was the first time like Shola who's like an amazing chef Shola was here uh, Michael was here Kwame was here and it was the first time I'd been around other West African chefs cooking 
from using West African ingredients in new and exciting ways. And it, you know, it really opened me up um, in my own practice as a chef and a cook and, you know, gave me even more permission to, to, to push what I was trying to do in London. Get, bear in mind as well, I don't have any culinary training. So it's, it's been very much me having to like fight imposter syndrome and give myself permission to have that amount of creativity. But anyway, all that's to say is four years later, I'm here now, um, I'm cooking all over the place, I'm presenting, I'm doing demos, and it's fantastic. What's really beautiful to see here is how expansive the conference has gone and see how many more chefs there are in this practice and to, you know, to be excited by the new things they're doing with, the, with these ingredients and how their interpretations are gonna be coming into people's homes and consciousness. You know, I don't know, it's, it's a very exciting time to be working with cuisines from the African continent. And I, you know, I hope to see it continue and to flourish and for that to move into like, you know, the, the ethnic food aisle in supermarkets and grocery stores to become revolutionized and for the high streets to become revolutionized. You know, I said in 2010, you know, this was all about starting an African food revolution. And I think we really, really are in it now. You know, I think like the tide has very much shifted and changed and we're in a new narrative about Africa generally. We're in a, definitely in a new narrative about the culinary arts, um, and it's a joy and pleasure to be here. 100%. And I think, yes, I think it will be interesting to see where we are at five years from now, two years from now, ten years from now. There's definitely, definitely movement happening. Are you based in New York now, or are you London, New York? No, I was nylon for a while. I believe that is a new hashtag for the kids. New York, London, nylon. Um, You're so cool. <laughs> I'm not cool. I didn't make that up. Um, but my, I live in New York. I'm based in Manhattan. Um, you know, I do go back to London every now and then for projects that move me to um, and to work with people that I like working with. Otherwise, I'm in New York. I'm in America. And, you know, I've had to shift my business and my whole everything I was doing after the pandemic it's been a lot, actually. The last two and a half years um, have been, you know, trying <laughs> for everybody. But to immigrate in that, to, you know, to have emigrated in that time and to have, like, reestablished my business and... I don't know, but America has opened their arms to me in terms of, you know, what I have to say and what I'm saying. So I can only see more... I've, you know, just in the short time I've been here, I've, I've been really... You know, I've got a frozen food line out with IO Foods. I've got great collaborations racking up behind me and in front of me. Uh, and that's what I love to do is like work with other people to share the love, share the message and get it out there as fast and as quickly as possible. It's really not about ownership of anything. It's about us all bringing ourselves individually to this idea of um, just how wonderful the flavors of Africa are. Um, and just to see so many people now passionate. And, you know, it's such an honor for me to what, you know, four years, people often think, you know, what can happen in, people always underestimate how much can happen. I think that's a Bill Gates quote. Sorry, I'm quoting Bill Gates, but, it, you know, <laughs> he had got the money. Um, but, you know, people really underestimate what they can do in that amount of time. And it's just phenomenal what's happened to my brand and not just my brand, but uh, the movement in general, just how big and fast and explosive it's become. Um, and yeah, I just hope that momentum continues. And, you know, to have chefs, young chefs here coming up to me the same way that I came up to those chefs four years ago, you know, like a gog and be like, chef, chef, you inspired this dish and your cookbook changed my life. You know, it's, it's amazing. Um, 
Yeah, so I feel great. <laughs> it is amazing. It's it's fantastic. Are you still podcasting? You have a podcast. You did, right? I have a podcast called Cooking Up Consciousness, um, where I talk to... It's not just about food, actually. It's more of like a metaphor for like where we are in the state of the world. And it's about, um, you know, people's journeys and how we should celebrate the path and celebrate the journey and not and not be afraid to take risks and not be afraid to be ourselves. Because most, you know, nine times out of 10, people who have become successful, air quotes, um, they have, they've deviated from what the society tells you is the standard route to success, you know? Certainly in my community of people that I know, you know, like creative entrepreneurs who care about, who are conscious, that's the point. So the whole podcast is about how do we raise consciousness and do it in a way where we're like, we're, we're serving other people and being authentic and staying true to ourselves. That's really been my journey and I want to share other people's journeys um, so that people can have permission to follow their dreams and do it their way. I love it. Okay, before I let you go, because I know you have a book signing, do you want to play my speed round? Let's go. <laughs> I have a speed, speed round game. I have a speed round game. You, you've got the speed, so I've, uh, yeah. Go, so go. I'm going to name a couple of things and you get to pick your pre preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Ooh, that's easy. Chocolate. <laughs> All right. You're going to be fabulous at this game. Okay. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat in at home. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Alfresco. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Mocktail. I'm sober. Two and a half years. Woo -hoo. 20. Hey! <laughs> congratulations. Uh. <laughs> congratulations to you. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good thing. I know how hard that is. That's amazing. Well done. No, no kudos to you. I mean, yeah. Thanks and time. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, game. Um, small plates or large plates? Mm, small. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with small because you get to have more. I mean, my whole concept was based on small plates for the purpose being that I wanted people to have access to as many different types of flavor at once so that when they came, they would be able to tell people. Because, like, listen, when you're doing something like, this is supposed to be Speedfire. I'm sorry, I'm going off, off time a little bit. But... I felt that, you know, I didn't want to risk people coming in for one thing and not enjoy that profile. So I thought, do small plates. People can come in, they can share. And it looks like about having community when you eat, but also experiencing lots of different things together. So you have like this unification, this community moment. Also, you have like this expansive palette happening all at the same time. And that's really what my supper clubs were built off of. And that's really what my whole brand is built off of. So small plates, yes. Unless, unless I'm cooking for myself at home, then it's a massive, massive literal bowl and a spoon, whatever it is, it's just shoveling it in like that. <laughs> I know. Wait, it's is a big plate with a small spoon? No, no, massive spoon, but like <laughs> big plate of food. Like I eat, when big I, when plate, I eat from my, big plate, big food. In Africa and Ireland, like we overcook, even when, you know, for two people I'm cooking for six, so, and I will eat the portions. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, your energy is fantastic. Okay. Um, Tasting menu or a la carte? Mmm. Mmm. -mm. That's a hard one. I'm going to say it depends on the environment. So for supper clubs, I love to do a tasting menu for the same reason I explained earlier around the small plates. Um, but, you know, dining out, I think people should always have some choice. 
you know? You have to empower, you have to give people some autonomy. I always, you know, my principle just generally when it comes to stuff like that is when you, I've learned that if you give people autonomy, they have a better time, like they have a better experience because they're making the choices. Fabulous. Communal table or chef's counter? Uh, We've you, lost the speed. Yeah, I know, because they're, they're, they're both so good though, for different reasons and work good in different environments. Aha, I'm gonna counter you with a third option, a, communi communable, a communal table with a chef's counter. So at my house in East London, where I used to have supper clubs, I created a kitchen where I had the open window to the kitchen, but it's one big table in front of it. So you get 12 to 14 people around the table, but they're all at the chef's table. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I love it. I want to go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> next time I'm in London doing a supper club, I'll let you know. <laughs> I, I like to travel as people listen to this show. No, I'm always like, I want to go. I can't wait to get back. I need to be there. So this is, this is definitely, yes, I want to go. Invite me. <laughs> okay. Um, where were we with this game? Um, the one that always gets people thinking and talking and questioning is a tipping or all-inclusive charge. It's a tricky one of the game. Tricky one. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's a cultural thing, isn't it? I come from the UK. Where in the UK, we tip. Like, services for service provided. Like, people have a salary. They're getting paid already. So the tip or the service charge is an additional thing you're paying because you've had a certain quality of service. So to come from that to the US where, you know, people just don't get paid properly and they depend on tips. Um, a, I just can't get my head around how that is functioning. Like, it, well, it's clearly not functioning because we had the great resignation. We've seen all of the, well, we know what the state of hospitality is and we don't have to repeat that conversation. But look, optimally, people get paid properly for their labor and then optimally people can give an additional payment because they've had a great experience because somebody's put in 100% effort and or the team have put in 100% effort and you've had an exceptional time, you know? So optimally that's, you know, we would live in a world where the tips were extra. So that's what I'm gonna say. Love it. Okay, a couple more. Um, writing a cookbook or doing a cooking demo? Mm -hmm. I mean, writing a cookbook takes fucking ages. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. I did a demo in 23 minutes today and I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> All right, we'll interpret that um, as we will. Um, I want to say like an ingredient one, like peanut sauce or I don't know, what's what's a favorite sauce of yours? Um, I've got so many sauces. Um, what you, if you're going to put peanuts into any question, my answer will be ground nut stew. Because <laughs> you know, in Ghana, we cook with, look, we have peanuts is a, a huge feature of our, our diet, whether it's like a ground nut stew or your, it's roasted peanuts on plantain with keluere. Like peanuts come as a garnish. In katsi, they come as dessert. They come as cake. They come as savory. They come as sweet. So peanuts, peanuts, peanuts. But my favorite way to consume peanuts will always and forever be the ground nut stew, the dish that made me and my brand famous, peanut butter stew, because... There is nothing that replicates for me that sense of comfort, nourishment, home, um, with this expansive, gorgeous, sweet and savory, spiced, 
profile that really, like, nothing brings you back to the West Africa like that profile does. And at the same time, it's like all your ancestors are wrapping a blanket around you and hugging you and cheering you on. Like, it's the most comforting food in the world. And it will always be my favorite dish from day one to the day I die. Yum. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or London? Mm. Manhattan, Brooklyn for now. <laughs> I love that you combine them together. Yes. And that's the game. <laughs> Did I survive? You survived, and everyone uh, playing the game this, uh, this um, trip of mine gets a hug as hey. your win. So thank you. <laughs> that's the winning prize. I'm going to give you I'll a hug right you. when we're done here. Thank you. You're fantastic and I'm so glad I met you recently and got to now I'm here with you at this conference and we got to hang out in New York City. Absolutely. Can I just give two things a quick plug? One yes. One is my website zoesgarnerkitchen.co.uk where you can buy all of the single origin spices, uh, all of my house spice blends from Jollof, Kelewele, Suya, also okra salt, hibiscus salt. Come play with the flavors we sell uh, and my cookbook obviously and then um, I'm just finished editing or I'm in the process of editing sorry an anthology called Serving Up um, I would love people to look out for that it's going to be published next year stick it in people's stockings for Christmas it's um, it's a beautiful collection of voices and food that we just don't hear about and you know part of my mission is to diversify food media in a way that is expansive and inclusive and allows us to tell our stories our way I'm so glad you gave a plug two plugs that's wonderful and um, yes be on the lookout for that. All those things. Thank you so much. Keep going. Can't wait to see what you do next. Let's and um, let's hug. And I'm back. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Zoe. We got a second speed round game in there, which I always find fun to play with all my guests. So um, I hope you enjoyed that. And um, now we're going to close out. I'm going to share once again about my big announcement and my solo dining experience this week. So for solo dining, let me share with you all in case you missed my last episode, I made an announcement about how I have a new book coming out in the spring and it is called Chef Wise. Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World, and it's being published by Fiden, which I'm so thrilled about. I have been working on this book for over a year, um, and it includes 117 outstanding chefs around the world and their advice. And it's divided into different chapters between philosophy, business, cooking, activism, future, um, there's 14 chapters all together, and I curated this book, and it was a really fantastic project to work on. A few of the chefs in it are Virgilio Martinez, Claire Smith, Massimo Botoro, Wiley Dufresne, Gagan Anand, Eric Repair, Alice Waters, Carolina Bazan. I mean, I'm, I'm quite honored to have a book with these star chefs and I can't wait for you guys to get a copy and check it out. It's not going to be available until the spring. However, you can pre-order one now. And if you would like to, you can go to fiden.com or amazon.com. Um, it's available both places right now. And just search for my name, Sherry Bayer, or search for Chef Wise, that's as 
it sounds, chef and wise as all one word. And um, the book is $20. So um, I think it's a good value. And I hope I hope it interests you and um, you will check it out. And I can't I can't wait. It's uh, been a big, big passion project uh, along with this podcast. So that's kind of my what drives me. And so um, there you go. That's the book. And um, now for my solo dining experience this week. It is at Loveski. Here's the rundown. 610 or 644 1st Street, Napa, California, the Oxbow Public Market in Napa. And the Oxbow Public Market is actually right next to the Copia Campus, uh, the Culinary Institute of America, where I was at the conference. Um, so the concept of Loveski is a Jewish deli like Jew-ish, Jew-ish. Okay, so the owners are Chef Christopher Costow and Martina Costow. So why'd I go? Well, I love a good bagel. And uh, I've always been a fan of Christopher Costow and Martina and their, their restaurants. And so I wanted to check out their bagel concept. My experience, so the day I had flown from New York to San Francisco, and then I got a car and I drove to Napa. I kind of skipped breakfast, lunch, I don't know, I didn't eat much. And so when I arrived, I was pretty hungry. It was about three o'clock and I went to their spot and I basically had breakfast for lunch. I ordered, I sat at the counter and I ate and I got very lucky because Christopher actually came by, I guess he was checking on the place and I saw him and I said hello and that was really nice um, that I, I caught him and um, I enjoyed my my meal. So what did I get? Well, they have an all day menu and I went with the smoked salmon with fermented onion spread, capers, shallots and dill on an everything bagel and um, I just had water. They did not have coffee at this time, which I would say was the only thing of my disappointment, even though I got coffee after at a place called Ritual Coffee. That's also um, in the market. But um, um, they said they don't serve coffee late in the day because I guess most people drink it in the morning uh, and are different than me that drinks it all day. <laughs> but anyways, I got my bagel and my take. It was fantastic. I mean, I love salmon and bagel combination. It's one of my favorite th things to eat for sure. So, and it did not disappoint at all. It was really delicious. So kudos to them. The ambiance. So it's a, a cute corner spot, I'd say in this uh, food hall, which has a really, really nice, like, like chill ambiance. Um, their part is, is like has a, a white countertop and it's a little kitschy style menu and design. And um, there's a few tables with mostly just some counter seats. Perfect for the casual solo bite. Interesting tidbit. Lubsky offers traditional elements of the deli and appetizing stores with flavors of Napa Valley, as well as elements of Martina's Thai heritage and focus on her and Christopher's farm and local artisans. Personal fun fact. So I previously had dined at their restaurant, Meadowood, which was a three-star, three Michelin-star restaurant in St. Helena, which unfortunately 
was destroyed in in 2020 by the glass incident fire and um, super devastating. I remember reading about it and it was just so sad. Um, So um, I was glad I had gotten to experience it, but it was a, it was a, a, a big loss, but they have, they have this place now and they also have a restaurant called the Charter Oak in St. Helena. And I also over this trip went there and had dinner with my friend, Chef J.J. Johnson and his team. And um, we ran into lots of people who were at the conference attending. And this is, was about 20 minutes away from where we were at the conference, but a lot of people went out there to have dinner. So that was nice. And I was glad to see that he, he had another cool cool spot that opened. It had a really great fireplace outside and they do fire cooking. And um, so that was cool. So I got to experience two of his places. Uh, the cost of my meal at Lovesky was $16, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. And their website is lovesky.deli.com and Instagram is lovesky.deli. So there you go. Um, kudos to them. And that's the show. Thank you so much for tuning into this special on the road episode from the Worlds of Flavor Conference in Napa, California. Thanks to my guests, Pierre TM and Zoe Ajonia. And for more information, you can go to worldsofflavor.com and on social at CIA Industry Leadership, hashtag CIA WOF. And for Pierre, pierretm.com and at Chef Pierre TM at Yolele Foods and at It's Taranga underscore. And for Zoe, Zoe's GhanaKitchen.com, at Ghana Kitchen, and at Zoe's Ajonio. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, where you're also in iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you get a chance, please go to one of these sites and leave a review. It would be wonderful to hear from you and get some feedback about the show. And also, please feel free to reach out to me on social. I would love to hear from you, and it would be wonderful to connect. I greatly appreciate you, my listeners, who come back every week and listen to this show. So thank you. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin, and thanks again to Pierre and Zoe, and thanks to Amanda Secker and the entire team at the Culinary Institute of America and Worlds of Flavor Conference. It was a really wonderful conference, and I'm so glad I could be a part of it. So thank you so much, and congratulations. And congratulations and thanks to all of the chefs and presenters at the conference, including some past guests of the show, Diana Tandia and Suzanne Barr were both there, and Michael Elligbed and Edward Lee and J.J. Johnson were all there, and they are all a part of my upcoming ChefWise book, so I'm super excited about that. And also, I got a chance to meet Hawa Hassan and Shola Alun Lolo and see Jamila Robinson um, and many, many more. So um, congratulations again, and thank you all. My next show will be on January 11th, 2023, and it is with Carolyn Schiff of Gage & Tolner in Brooklyn, New York. Can't wait for that. I hope you'll tune in. And... That's it. That's it for 2022. So I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. 
I hope you have a absolutely wonderful holiday season and happy new year. And thank you as always for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.